Welcome to Startup Growth Stories by ARC. Hear from founders of bootstrapped startups and decacorns. We discuss the successes and the failures and the things they learned along the way. In the final minutes, founders get vulnerable. They share how growing their business has impacted their lives. Join us every Thursday for a new startup growth story. And now, here's our host, Don Muir. Hi, everyone. I'm joined here with Kyle Mack, CEO and co-founder of Middesk, the leading identity platform automating business verification and underwriting decisions. Middesk's current customers include Plaid, Affirm, Bluevine, Novo, and many more. Thanks for coming to the podcast, Mikhail. Yeah, thanks for having me. So the first question we, we'd like to ask founders on our show is, you know, who are you? Who is Kyle Mack. <laughs> yeah. So I, I grew up in a very entrepreneurial family, a small town in Vermont, like about 20,000 people. I recently relocated from San Francisco to New York. So New York resident. I got married about a year ago. Consider myself Congrats. a pretty, thank you, pretty good cook, mediocre golfer. And uh, <laughs> yeah, f- first time founder and, and CEO of Middesk. Awesome. And what exactly is Middesk? What do you do? So we're building the business identity platform. So our goal is to enable businesses to all access the products and services that they need to be successful. So if you look at the life cycle of a business, think about the time from formation all the way through to that business growing. They need bank accounts, they need capital, they need payroll products and insurance. There's a lot of friction that's put in place for a business to be able to access those things. And really, we think identity underpins a lot of it. So our sole focus is making sure that we can enable businesses to access these products with, a, with as little friction as, as possible. And during this entrepreneurial journey, who or what has been your biggest inspiration? I draw a lot of inspiration from my family. I, I, I mean, really, I mentioned that I grew up in a really entrepreneurial family, but it's, I'm not talking like tech. You know, my dad owned a garbage company growing up. People like laugh. I think they think I'm joking when I say I used to, you know, pick up garbage growing up. It's, it's true. And my grandfather owned like a residential fuel oil delivery company. So I've always really been around small business stuff. And I think a lot of that's just shaped kind of the way I've, you know, approached my work and work ethic and persistence. And it's just a big inspiration for me. In that vein, we'd love to dive a little bit into the founding story of Middesk. Before we do, can you share the story about the Evernote you have on your phone called Notes <laughs> to Myself? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I I have always known that I wanted to do a business. I didn't know when or what it was going to be, but I definitely knew that I, I was going to do it at some point. And I was really lucky to have an awesome experience at Checker before we started Middesk. I had joined at the company as the fourth person on the team. Um, and you know the business grew to hundreds of wow. people and over 100 million in revenue wow. while I was there. It, it was awesome. So along the way, I started this document to just capture all the different learnings, right? Like things we did really well that I would want to do again someday, things that you know we didn't do as well, or maybe opportunities. And it's fun to look at because it's written from the perspective of like an early employee going through that journey and some of the things that I was frustrated about at the time or excited about. And so that's sort of been something along the way that I've been able to bounce up against and see like, are we actually doing these things that I said I wanted to do or, or, or are we doing something different? That's a great idea and definitely something that uh, I should implement myself here at, <laughs> at ARC. So then going on to Middesk, what was the idea behind Middesk and where did you and Kurt actually meet? 
So Kurt and I met while we were at Checker. And so Kurt's my technical co-founder and CTO. We actually had a whole challenge internally at Checker around onboarding our business, our, all of our customers. Because you could imagine any new customer who wanted to run background checks on their employees, they're going to get access to criminal data, social security number, address history, dates of birth, a lot of really sensitive consumer information. We had this whole team, we called it the credentialing team. And their job was to verify that all the new businesses we onboarded were legitimate. And it was easy to verify that like a Uber or Lyft was a real company. But we also sold our product through companies like Rippling, Zenefits, Gusso, all of these platforms that really were servicing newly formed companies and startups. And we had to verify those entities as well. And that was a hugely operational process. So Middesk really initially started as building what we at the time called the credentialing API, which was we would sort of be able to automate all the diligence that was going into to ultimately giving a thumbs up to an employer who was looking to onboard onto the background check product. And so that's that's really where Middesk had started from. Amazing. Was there a specific aha moment where you knew you were onto something, you knew that that this idea from Checker could become its own standalone business and that you could build into what it is today? I, mean, I think when we when we started to see how much inefficiency was in the space, it was it became more and more apparent. Like coming from the world of Checker and consumer data products, there's so much focus on the quality of the data, the accuracy of the information. There's a whole regulatory environment that actually requires that background check companies have procedures for data quality and accuracy. When you look at business data, though, there are there isn't those same types of quality standards. And then digging into the space and the incumbent providers, really, you could start to see how big the gaps were. And then all the inefficiencies that that drove, which ultimately had very real world impacts to these businesses, like not being able to get access to a loan or open a bank account. I mean, things they like really needed to run their business. And so just seeing the, the gap between the quality of kind of consumer data products versus business data, like I think it really started to show the opportunity. Definitely resonates with uh, with me and, and the team here at ARC, uh, <laughs> especially. So there was Kurt at Checker. Who else was in that initial tribe that supported you in your journey to get Middesk off the ground and to take to take the leap? One of the people I would actually highlight first is Rich Wong from Excel. I, I got really lucky with the partnership with Excel. So, you know, Rich was Checker's Series A board member. When I interviewed for Checker, I got to meet Rich at that time. So I had known him for years before we decided to start the business. And him and the team were awesome. I mean, we went to their office to be able to brainstorm on the business and they gave feedback for a while before we actually built anything. So I have to give give a shout out to Rich. Other people that were great, I mean, Daniel and Jonathan from Checker are two personal best friends, um, the founders there. And, and so they were super supportive. We spent a lot of time with Max from Instacart. And so we had this really cool group of, of you know founders and operators that spent a lot of time with us, like really trying to figure out what this business could be and what it, what it was and what it wasn't going to be. And so th- that was really a lot of the initial crew. That makes a ton of sense. I mean, you mentioned you were a first-time founder, but it sounds like you got a pretty invaluable zero to one and one to a hundred experience at Checker that that really paid off uh, building Middesk. Yeah, Don, absolutely. I mean, it it, it was a huge, very lucky experience to be part of of that and seeing like that much growth in such a short period of time. Incredible. Well, fast forward today, you and Kurt have collectively raised over $75 million in financing. You've brought on over 80 teammates and attracted over 350 customers. First off, congrats on your Series B. And more recently, on your partnership with Secure, 
would love to dive into your experience fundraising. To launch the business, you decided to pursue YC, correct? Yeah, that's correct. So after YC, you raised a C, A, and most recently B. What are the, the, some of the things that you learned throughout that fundraising journey and, and maybe some of the decisions to, to take YC and then to ultimately to raise uh, subsequent uh, priced equity rounds? So things that we learned, the two that stand out most immediately, one is the importance of this hierarchy. Sequoia talks a lot about this, the, this kind of hierarchy of story to metrics to financials. And the idea that as a business progresses, you know, when you're, when you're pre-seed, right, so much of it is about the story. You have no metrics, certainly no like real financials to back the thing up. But as the business gets more mature and you make progress, making sure that that connects, there's a very clear line between all of those things that connects it. And so if you look at, you know, going out to do the seed, very heavy about the story, right? Maybe some basic metrics, the series A, you really start to look at some of the core metrics, the prime, like the big KPIs for the business, but the series B was much more about the financials, right? And like really making sure there was a story to building an enduring business. So just really thinking about what the line is going to be that connects those things um, and making sure that you have the, the sort of data to back it up. And the second thing is just the importance of the relationships that I think you can build leading up to a fundraise. The investors that we have today on our cap table, we've known for a long time, especially at the Series B. I mean, these are people who really helped us for a year, two years before we actually went out and did the fundraise. And ultimately, you spend a lot of time with these people. So just, you know, being willing to invest in those relationships up up front um, and build those over time. So you kind of know ultimately who you're going to be spending a lot of time working with. You asked about kind of the decision to do YC. I think YC provides different value for everybody, right? Like depending on where you are in your business and in your journey and your background. I think for us, what it what it, it was a great forcing function and it was a really good accountability mechanism. Like getting in the the cadence of like shipping things super quick, really being ruthless about prioritization. I think those things we've taken with us and we we push our teams in the same way now. Um, so that was some of probably our biggest takeaway was really like that sort of relentless focus and urgency. I think they just do a great job of getting people conditioned to think like that. And then tactically, how do you go about building those relationships with the later stage, the Series B investors up to a, a year in advance? I, again, like I feel fortunate that we had a lot of interest in earlier rounds where we were able to kick those relationships off. As we went through fundraising, you know, there there have been times along the way where we've received term sheets that were more competitive than maybe ultimately the folks that we ended up going with, but we just put a lot of weight in the relationships. And then along the way, like those maybe folks who we have been able to meet throughout the fundraising process, like finding time with them every three to six months to just grab a coffee, something like that. Finding the people who you actually kind of vibe with and fit a little bit better. And, you know, there's, you can kind of have that, that gut feeling where it's like, this is somebody I could actually see myself digging into the business with. And those are generally the people that I kind of kept top of the list to make sure to catch up with. And inevitably when they reach out to catch up, uh, take the time. <laughs> Makes a ton of sense. Now for some trickier questions and, and we'll ask some, some more vulnerable questions here at the end of the, the segment. In terms of building the business, we'd like to just understand how you set the foundation for a successful enterprise. So a lot of the listeners here on on the show are founders of seed through series B SaaS startups. We'd like to just hear maybe your perspective on making a decision of something that doesn't have a clear 
right answer out of the gate? What's your mental framework and how do you approach that ambiguous situation to make the best possible decision for the company? You know, Don, I, I mean, I'm still improving on this. I certainly do not get it right all the time. <laughs> uh, I think one thing is just making sure to have a network of people that you trust to ask about certain parts of the business, right? So there are folks within our network that I really trust to talk to things, you know, to like pe people related challenges, right? Some folks have really good perspective on org design, some folks on positioning and packaging and go to market. And so just trying to really be aware of who those people are in your network that you can sort of go to when you have questions about about different things. But even still, right, like there's many cases where there's not a single right answer. Something I've been able to kind of fall back on is our operating principles that we've we've built. So if you're talking about sort of setting the foundation for the company, having a set of, of values or operating principles that are actually tangible and you can actually use to bounce up decisions, I think can be can be helpful for that. And then I also find that, you know, when when decisions can maybe feel like there's many different paths, trying to boil it down to just some very basic, more binary questions is a good way to do it, right? And really trying to break the problem down into something a little bit more digestible. But like I said, I, I mean, I, I'm still still working on that and trying to get better every day. In a similar vein, if you could go back and, and give yourself one piece of advice out of the gate, you know, coming out of Checker, starting mid-desk, what is that advice that you would give yourself? And then, more, you know, more broadly to, to first-time founders who want to take the entrepreneurial leap? I think like everybody talks about how important the people are, but I really would just underscore that like the first five to 10 people on the team really set the tone for like the next 50 or 100 people. And so just making sure to hold out where those people, you know, not just are going to be hard workers, right? And like have good skill set, but really align with you and the way, like the expectations you have for the way you want your team to show up. And that's something that as our company has gotten big, bigger, I've had to think a lot about, you know, there's like this expression, um, culture is what happens when the founders are not in the room. I don't know if you've <laughs> heard that one. And like, it's kind of an interesting one because like now with everything remote, right. And the team's getting bigger, like Kurt and I are not in the, not in the room, like a lot. And I think it's been really helpful to be able to define our values and our operating principles to really be explicit about the way we show up. Right. And ultimately make sure that people understand what those expectations are. I'd like last thought on the people side, um, in the same way that those first five to 10 people are really foundational for the company. Another learning along the way is like every time a team gets created, the same problem happens again. It's like the first couple of salespeople set the tone for the sales team. <laughs> the first couple marketing people set, right? So that problem just keeps happening as the company gets bigger and bigger. And those early people are just so, so core to like the way the team is going to ultimately function. Would you be willing to share a couple of those top operating principles that you've built the foundation of the company on? Yeah, absolutely. We, we actually recently went through and redid them. The way we've set ours up is we have a set of operating principles that we think apply to every single person at the company. So those are things like owner, owner mentality, right? Being an owner, um, things like putting our customers first, right? And those are things that should feel tangible. 
people should understand how to apply them. Another thing that we've done recently is we defined a few operating principles that we sort of said apply to leaders at Middesk. And it's not leaders like people on the leadership team or managers, but if you wanted to hold yourself to another standard and really be looked at as somebody who has influence in the company, I think there are other ways that you can show up and operate. So we have one that I really like, high support, high expectations. I think that it's really, it's like easy to say, hard to do, but really being clear with people about what your expectations are of them, communicating those things upfront, helping people see the gap, but then being there to make sure that you support them and, and help them be able to sort of achieve whatever those expectations are. Is there any bad advice you've received throughout the, the journey so far? I think hiring advice is like, is a hard one. Because, you know, we've had plenty of folks telling us, you know, about hiring senior executives that I think would have really taken us down a path that was focusing on the wrong things, right? And, like, ultimately, the people you decide to bring into your company, it is so dependent on where your business is at. And as a founder, you're going to have a better intuition for what the company needs than anybody that can look at the business from the outside, Right. So that's like one where, you know, pushing us to hire maybe more senior people than we thought we needed or build out functions and mature them faster than maybe the business needed. And, and that's something, you know, I think we've always tried to be really good at is like being very deliberate about who we hire and when and how quickly to grow the team. But obviously, as a founder, you're always going to have the better like intuition. Couldn't agree more. Very well said. In the last segment here, we like to get a little bit vulnerable if you're up for it. Some of the other founders we've interviewed have mentioned that building is hard and you have to keep your health in check. And we wanted to double click on that. Can you share why it's important to stay optimistic and embrace a spirit of adventure when starting a company? Company building is extremely difficult. I think for me, it's been one of the hardest, most difficult things I've ever done. Right. And you're like trying to anchor on something that if it goes well, you're talking about having to do it for 10 years, 15 years. I mean, you know, it's, it's really hard to know like how far you're going to be able to push it. And then to one of your earlier questions, like there is really never a right answer on like the immediate next thing to do. So yeah, I think it's, it's easy to get caught in the moment. Like when things are hard, it's easy to just like invoke the emotional response to be, I don't know, angry or disappointed or whatever it is. And so we've really tried to anchor on the idea of optimism, like being able to step back from the problem at hand, look at it sort of, you know, first principles approach, look at the bigger picture, try to frame it as like an actual challenge to solve and not get too anchored on like the emotional response of what's going on in the company. But that's like really, really difficult to do especially as you have more people and more projects going on. And so, yeah, just trying to really keep, you know, sight of like the bigger picture and the cool opportunity that we have to like build an awesome company, but it's certainly not always easy to do. Celebrate the highs. Yeah. It's, um, make, makes a ton of sense. What if any impact has starting in scaling mid desk had on your mental or physical health and how have you handled that? I mentioned earlier, I do feel fortunate to have a really strong network, right? And so friends that have gone through the same journey, I mentioned Daniel and Jonathan from Checker, like really, really good friends. My wife, like amazing partnership with her and just being there to sort of support. I recently started working with a coach, which has been helpful. A few months into that, I, I think I was late to do that, but it's actually been really, really helpful to have somebody there as a sounding board for how the week is going. 
but again, like it's, it's been difficult. Like, I think for me, it's really been about trying to create the bound, the boundaries a little bit. And I think about my wife, you know, it's like, we have to make sure that like, I'm not sitting at home just talking about work all the time, which is like hard to do. And in many days, it's like the first thing that you think about when you wake up and it's the last thing you think about when you go to bed. And so it's like, so top of mind and really trying to carve out the space to like get away on the weekends. I've really tried to set good boundaries on hours, like turning the computer off, you know, Friday evening, trying not to work Saturdays, be online on Sundays, but trying to create those boundaries and just do things that are like completely not related to, to work. But again, like having just a group of people around me, that's been a good support system. It's been like the most helpful thing. And if series B was potentially too late, when, when would you advise other founders, maybe founders who are a little bit earlier than, than you at, at Middesk engage an executive coach and what cadence would you recommend uh, engaging that person? Yeah. And again, I'm new to this. Like I've been doing it only a few months, but I, if I could go back, I think I would, as soon as we started having like more people related challenges to work through, I think actually that's a pretty good time to be able to, to do that because going through this journey as a first time founder, especially if you're not a seasoned manager, that's like a very hard muscle to build. And if you can avoid sort of those people related challenges and get ahead of those, or at least have confidence in how to approach them, I think it can actually do a lot for your own energy. Like thinking through people problems is really difficult. It takes a lot of time. And so I've spent a lot of time thinking through those things. And I wish I had had a partner earlier to be able to talk through those things and really work through how to approach difficult conversations, like how to get better at giving feedback earlier, because those things have really big ripple effects if you can get good at it early in the company and then make that part of the culture of the, the business. Looking back on your journey over the past three years, is there anything you'd change? I think for us, I, again, I, I, we have not done everything perfectly. I being very explicit about the, we, what we think the company is going to need, let's call it six months from now to be successful and investing in those things like right now. And just thinking about the, every person you hire, every team you start to build, it has a ripple effect on the dependencies and the other things that that team is going to need and trying to anticipate those things ahead of time. I think we could have done better at that. You know, an example right now is like as we hire our sales team and we bring more account executives, I wish we had thought more about the, the demand it was going to place on pipeline and growth and demand gen to be able to balance the go-to-market engine. And so trying to make sure you invest in those things in parallel. So I think that's, that's one. And then we've also, as a company that's still pretty small, like we've explored new things new products, new features. And I think just trying to make sure that you identify what the core part of your business is, like what is the main thing? And then while it's exciting to explore new things, making sure that there's a very tight story for how anything new you're going to do is actually going to connect back to the main thing so that you can make sure that everybody is still working toward a shared and common goal. So I think maybe those would be two things. The story for internal purposes for the team or for externally for your your board and your investors? Internally. Or both. Okay. I mean, I think it's a bit of both, but I think internally is actually the hardest one because when you have a main thing that has the majority of resources on it, and then you have a new thing, like the new thing operates a little bit different and it might have its own set of challenges, which brings its own set of stress stressors. And it might not have the resources of the core thing because it is new. 
And so just making sure that folks that are working on that really are reminded how it's pushing the whole company ahead. And that having that internal story be super, super tight, I think is like really important. What a journey. Clearly peaks and, and some troughs. And uh, I've personally learned a lot in the last 30 minutes chatting with you. Final question of the segment, Pal, would you do it all over again? <laughs> That's an easy one. I, I mean, I tell people during onboarding that I'm doing my dream job right now. You know, I, I mean, really, I believe I, I really mean that. So yeah, absolutely. This is like, that's the most difficult, challenging thing I think there there is. And it's it's great. I mean, it's it's really energizing. Well, thank you for sharing your story with ARC and with our listeners. Incredibly excited to uh, share this with the world so you can help other founders grow. So thanks, Cal. Really appreciate your time today. Thanks a lot for having me. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Startup Growth Stories. To continue the discussion, head over to arc.tech.